The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome inside our penultimate edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. My name is Eric Little, and of course, I'm going to take any opportunity I can to use the word penultimate. It is one of my favorite words in the English language. This is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Happy to have you with us once again this week. We'll take a look at this week's poll question in just a few moments. We'll recap this week's action and set you up for the Super Six. First, let's take a look back at last week. Williamstown committed six turnovers in their loss at Doddridge County. They had problems that kept compounding as the team kept pressing to try and get out of their hole. A strong season for Williamstown, though. They had three losses, both of them to Super Six teams, but the mistakes kept compounding. And the shame of it is you have an effort out of Williamstown that is not indicative of how good that team was this year. They were a strong team all season long, led by good fundamentals and a strong running game. Didn't get that going to the level that they needed to get that going. And the defense, which was good, couldn't come over six turnovers. To be honest, not a lot of defenses can overcome six turnovers. Doddridge will have the chance to take on a traditional power in Wheeling Central, who will improbably be back in the Super 6 after nearly being bounced in the opening round. For Doddridge, it'll be a chance for running back Hunter America to shine on a big stage. It'll be the Bulldogs' chance to get a title with probably one of their best players, if not the best player they've had in school history. Williamstown got a good season from Ty Moore. Didn't get 100 yards, yet 59 yards. Williamstown held out of the end zone against Doddridge County. But like we said, those mistakes kept compounding on Williamstown. We'll talk much more about the Doddridge-Wheeling Central matchup later on. One of the things that's kind of been following this Williamstown team all year long is a rumor. We've not really talked about it on this program, but a rumor that this will be the last season for head coach Terry Smith in both football and baseball at Williamstown High School. I've not flat out asked him the question. I've been asked by a number of people. If I had a dollar for every time that I'd been asked that question, I'd be able to buy lunch for a week. But I've had a lot of people ask me that question. That's kind of the ongoing rumor. So it's one of those things to where if you hear it proven true someday, it wouldn't be a total shock to the senses or a total surprise. But I think the strongest indication that I've heard yet that that might have some truth to it is listening to the Mix 100 broadcast of that game from Friday. One of the assistant coaches who was interviewed post-game got emotional talking about what the players mean to the community and what Terry Smith as a head coach has meant to the players and to his community. And I feel like those emotions might have been masking something deeper from a coach that probably knew before the rest of us that he had just coached his last game with Terry Smith. Again, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that combined with the ongoing persistent rumor that's not gone away all season that this is Terry's last season kind of makes me wonder if maybe there's not more to that or a grain of that. But either way, I found that to be the strongest evidence yet that that's going to be the case. If so, that would be a big loss for coaching in this area and for Williamstown High School. Those are tough shoes to fill as he's managed to go into a small community in one of West Virginia's smallest Class A schools and turn that team into a perennial favorite and a perennial power. And to be honest, you look at a lot of Williamstown tradition. Williamstown is a team in a city that's cloaked themselves in football tradition. But go back any time before the Terry Smith era, they were not regular playoff participants, not in the least. They were 
awful in the 70s and in the 80s. They had a couple good seasons here and there, a couple good players here and there, but by and large, Williamstown football isn't much of anything before you get Terry Smith. They went to the island with Doc Chapman as head coach, but Terry has taken Williamstown to levels that they have not imagined and they might not imagine after this. So an era of Williamstown football perhaps coming to an end. We'll keep an eye on that situation, but either way, it's Doddridge County moving on as you have to hand it to Williamstown. A good season. They battled some injuries. Jarrett Frazier, their running back, was hurt early in the season. Ty Moore really stepped up. They also got a first-year starter quarterback in Braden Modest that the developing got better as that season progressed. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops, if he develops under Smith or somebody else, but where they go from here. I think the cupboard's not barren Williamstown. Someone will step up. They always manage to do so for the Yellow Jackets. Parkersburg South was blown out 77-20 against Martinsburg in a result that a lot of people really saw coming. I'll be honest, I didn't want to predict that game or forecast that game going into it as a game that I do because I don't like to do that with games I broadcast, but I knew South had a shot. I felt South had maybe the best shot of anybody in the state to knock off Martinsburg, but it was a tall task. Here's why that's such a tall task. I think a lot of times in the western part of the state, we don't quite realize how this team is so good and how this program is so good. It's almost like an urban legend, as I was telling one of the Martinsburg people, how good that program is. But let's put some truth and some numbers behind that. They combine speed and skill with a good feeder program and an excellent head coach. They have some of the fastest players that I've seen on a high school football field. Gerard Bowie, a punt returner and touchdown maker from the wide receiver spot. The two running backs, who are juniors by the way, and will both be back next year, are wrecking balls and lightning fast. And they had a strong quarterback who made good decisions and a backup quarterback that would start for most other teams who they used a running back just to get him on the field. They've got a good defense, a lot of size up front on both sides of the ball. And again, the feeder program, I was told that the freshman team they had this year at Martinsburg is as good as they've ever had. So for as much success as they've had, they've made the playoffs all but one of Dave Walker's 23 years there. You have to go back to his first year to find a Martinsburg team that didn't make the playoffs. And again, he's an excellent head coach. 302 wins overall, 3 of 3 now, but 250 plus at Martinsburg. You got an excellent head coach, a good program from the ground up. You know, one of the things that I was told about the players in the field now is they've been playing together since they were about 8 years old, and you're going to have results like what they had when you've got that, and you've continued to develop from that feeder program. Yeah, that's not going anywhere soon. If Walker leaves and the next guy is a complete train wreck, uh, they're still going to be good for at least a couple more seasons. Uh, they might not be as dominant, but they'll still be good and not have a ton of fall-off, to be honest. But I don't see that happening because it's such a good thing they've got going there, and that's how and why it's good. There were some bright spots for Parkersburg South. Dylan Day got over a 1,000 receiving yards. The darkest spot of the day, though, came when Brandon Penn was injured, broke his back in two places, had surgery on that Sunday as recovering from that. The injury came. It was kind of indicative of the way South's day had gone. They were down 35-6. to Martinsburg was driving, but South had forced a fumble. However, the fumble was recovered by lineman Ty Lucas, a 330-pound lineman who rumbled 16 yards and ran right into Brandon Penn. Penn is not the kind of guy who'll back down from a challenge. Penn tried to make an open field tackle. Somehow in that, had two fractures in his back. He was down for several minutes before being helped off the field, walked off with some assistance before the stretcher came onto the sideline and took him into an ambulance. He left by ambulance. A shame because 
was, as much of a warrior as he was and a producer, uh, he should not have had his high school career in uh, in the back of an ambulance. But the pen injury happened on one play, a play where South forced to fumble, and if they recover it, they're only down four scores with some time to play in the second quarter, and they get right back into the game. But Martinsburg scored a touchdown on the next play after the injury. The injury plus the touchdown makes it 42-6 to with your quarterback out of the game, and that was really it after that. South was was done after. They played throughout, the, and, the, and they got some cool things late. John Canard got a touchdown. That was kind of cool for Parkersburg South. That's not something that happens a lot. And Landon Francisco got into the end zone as well on a pass from Sam Schuler. But you really have to hand it to Nathan Tanner. A very good first season in his first year. He came on in March and was on scene within, I want to say, 48 hours as head coach of Parkersburg South. Getting to know the kids, getting to know the community. Recruited the hallway very well in season one. And what we mean by that is just he was able to reach into other sports and take the best athletes in the school and have them come out to play football. And I'm not sure that was always getting done in previous coaching staffs. I've heard some people say that there were fences mended between programs. I'm not sure exactly in what way. I call the games. I don't get into a lot of the politics between sports and a lot of the parent stuff. That's not my relationship with Parkersburg South High School. I'm there to broadcast the games. And you hear a little bit of that, but I try to stay above most of that, uh, if at all possible. But I've heard some people say that he's repaired a lot of the fences between programs. I think the biggest thing he's done is gain the community's trust. Is He's putting out players that are going to actively lead as individuals. They're going to be more accountable for themselves than maybe they've been. It's not that it wasn't a tight-knit family before, but they're tighter-knit than they were in some different ways, and they're more service-minded and service-oriented. One of the things I said on the broadcast that I wish I'd said much earlier is Roger Thompson made one whale of a hire in bringing Nathan Tanner to Parkersburg Southside. He's exactly the guy that has the tools to succeed there and that can succeed there and do very well there. He's got a young family, a wife and a kid. I know the South folks would like to see him plant roots there and be there for a long time, and I could see him doing that, and I could see that going very well if he continues to do that, if he gets the support that he needs. A lot of people think that it's going to be onward and upward for Parkersburg South, and you know, after an 11-2 season, there's a lot of room to still go upward. I don't know if it's going to be a straight upward trajectory. They might level off a little bit in year two before going up in year three. You have to look at this, too. The reason that South was so good is they were able to get impact players from other sports while also getting strong performances from guys that were underutilized on the 2018 team in Brandon Penn and Devin Gaines. You'll have Gaines back next year. Penn is gone. They'll also lose Jeffrey Tucker and Braxton Amos on the defensive line, who were two of the guys that made that defense and such an unstoppable unit. So for at least another year or two before that culture is changed completely, Tanner's going to have to really work and recruit the Halls this year and this winter with the same effort that he used last winter. So he's got to do that sales pitch all over again. However, people might find it a little easier to sell because they've seen one year. He's got his team to go out there and kind of do that for him in some regards, but uh, there's a lot to replace off of this year's team that you won't easily replicate. The culture that needs to grow there is one where the best athletes are encouraged to come out for football, and until that starts happening on a regular basis, uh, which it will eventually in time, but until that happens on a regular basis, this could be an up-and-down thing. So that's going to be his next job. His next job, his first job, rather, to keep this program succeeding every year is to keep getting the best athletes out. So it will be a sales job year to year for the next couple of years before things get a little easier once you build that culture of winning. But Tanner definitely had an up-close-and-personal look with a pattern, maybe even too up-close-and-personal on Saturday with the program that everybody should try to be patterning theirs after. Can Martinsburg be replicated? Sure. Somebody could come in and do exactly what they're doing. You can't teach the speed that Martinsburg has. You can't quite do that. But to do what Martinsburg does, you have to have the buy-in from every 
every level. You have to have youth coaches and an excellent youth program that gets kids involved and interested in football and keeps them interested and involved in football. And they have to be interested and involved from an early age. You have to have buy-in from a lot of individuals in the community to make that happen. And a culture where the best kids in the area want to come play for Parkersburg South, want to be at Parkersburg South and stay at Parkersburg South and go out for football there. That can happen anywhere, but it takes time. This is not a quick band-aid thing. You can't build what Martinsburg has in a year or two. It would take about a decade, and you have to have a couple full classes go through before you really start to see the fruits of that. You build the youth program now and make sure it's pumping out the best perennially, and you reap that harvest in seven or eight years. But the culture of your best athletes in the area playing football and wanting to play football, that has to happen early and often, and that has to stay there and stay in place before these classes start to come up. So it can be done, but it's going to take time. However, Nathan Tanner might just be the guy to do it for Parkersburg South. To go back to the pin injury, one other thing that we need to touch on is the fact that Martinsburg could not have been classier about the way that was handled in so many regards. Ty Lucas, the player that was involved in the injury on the Martinsburg end of things, he had a post on social media talking about how bad he felt about that and asking for prayers for Penn. And I think a lot of people reached out to him and said, you know, it was a football thing. You shouldn't feel bad about that. However, Martinsburg as a team went to visit Brandon Penn in the hospital on Sunday. Penn has since been discharged and is home and continuing therapy there. But the way the Martinsburg community, the way the football players, a lot of their parents reached out to not just Brandon, but his parents, that was a very classy thing uh, on behalf of all the Martinsburg football program. So that needs to be known and said. It's been in the news a little bit, at least on the television news, how classy that that Martinsburg community was. But you cannot underscore what that meant to that community, what that meant to the team. And I'm sure that meant to his family in their time of need. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's take a look at last week's poll question. We asked you, should all West Virginia playoff games be played on artificial surfaces? Why or why not? Should it be mandatory that all West Virginia playoff games be played on artificial surfaces? Why or why not? We had 39 votes, one of the more voted on polls this season, and it's surprising to me at least 79% of you said no, 79% said no, 21% said yes when asked whether or not all West Virginia playoff games should be played on artificial services. This got six comments. I want to go back and read these. Butch Mounts writes, if South Charleston are playing this weekend, their natural surface is like carpet. I get that. There are a couple schools that play on excellently maintained grass surfaces. Ken Davis writes, football is mostly an outdoor sport and grass is an outdoor vegetation. Why spoil it with artificial turf? Now, granted, Eric, both you and I would benefit from artificial turf in our job as he's the public address announcer Parkersburg South and me as the radio broadcaster. We could see numbers a little easier, but I still am opposed to the idea that it'd be a mandatory requirement in playoff circumstances, and the WVSSAC has an appeals process that can cancel out a home field advantage if the field facilities are not up to standard. I agree with that, Ken, they do, but it's never used anymore. I'll get into this in just a minute, but you never see fields challenged. In the 90s, it seemed like it was a regular occurrence, at least once a year, somebody challenged the conditions of a field, but I'll get to that a little bit more in just a moment. But I agree, there is an appeals process, you just never see that utilized. Garrett Furr, while I believe the standard for hosting a playoff game should be raised. I don't believe artificial turf should be a mandatory part of the process. Several of the schools that utilize grass have taken an utmost pride in their facilities and maintain their grass surface throughout the season. However, in some instances, the home team should be forced to play at a different venue due to poor playing or seating conditions, and I'm of the opinion this benchmark should be raised. Raised and or enforced, because it's not at all enforced anymore. Dave Slosarek says, I haven't followed this conversation, but it would 
seemed to me some school districts wouldn't have the financial wherewithal to make this happen, and they slash the students should not be penalized for that. If all playoff games are played at a neutral facility with an artificial turf field, fine. So it seems like Dave is saying if you're going to go neutral field, then have them all be turf, which I would agree with. I think that's the solution. If you go all neutral, or at least neutral past a certain round, then yeah, that's going to be on artificial surfaces, without question. It's going to be. Because in Ohio, for those of you that aren't aware of the Ohio system, in Ohio, they are home games through round one. You get to host one home game, and that's if your field is up to snuff. And you can deck out that field and paint it up and put all the banners up that you want and have your one playoff game. But then the environment goes sterile after that because all other playoff games are on neutral sites before the state championship. In West Virginia, that home game is not treated as a home game. Your announcer can't be as ebullient and as enthusiastic for one team versus the other. You can do inflatables and come out of inflatable tunnels. The home team is able to do that, but you can't make a sign to bust through. You can't make a fan tunnel or anything like that. You can come out through your spirit tunnel with, I think, the band maybe making a tunnel, but that's it. And I don't believe you can make end zones painted up as you want or midfield logos or anything like that. There, there are some rules that you have to abide by when treating your field. Craig Dutton says, I definitely wouldn't say mandatory, but it would be nice for teams to be encouraged to move to turf facilities. If not, it's understandable to have the games at home facilities that are in good condition. But again, I'm still in favor of the neutral side idea. And Craig has done a lot of games in the Ohio playoffs in recent years with River High School. I just don't like the idea of all options being taken away from teams and coaches participating. Home coaches should still be allowed to decide the facility they play in, whereas the visiting coaches hold a date and time. And this is all going to stand until Metro News decides they want to do whatever they want to do because eventually the WVSSAC and Metro News will dictate when and where games are played. They'll spread them out as they, they want to do and they'll put them wherever they want if they're able to get the coverage for them that they seek. We're not there yet. So for now, you're still able to see games on local television and or local radio. But until then, I think the coaches will still be able to decide where and when they play. But if you're getting a, an ongoing theme from me, it's that existing rules aren't being enforced well. Taryn Malone writes, I'm really a fan of Ohio's playoff idea. I like the fact that you can have one home game, then for the remainder of the postseason have a neutral site. I think it builds to the excitement. I like the one home game idea, and I think that West Virginia could go that route and make these games feel like more home games and more uh, and feel like true home games. They don't really, because of all the reasons I mentioned earlier. The home games are even kind of played in a sterile environment, to be quite honest. I never like the quite neutral site thing, because even in a state like Ohio that's a little bit more evenly laid out than West Virginia, you still have a lot of instances where you know, one team travels 30 minutes, one team travels an hour and a half. You know, tell me that's a neutral site. I want to thank all of you who responded to that. There's some very good ones. This question was inspired by the field conditions after the quarterfinal round. There were some absolutely atrocious, dog slop looking fields out there. I'm looking at Greenbrier West. I'm looking at Polka, where Polka and Oak Glen was contesting what looked like abominable conditions. They make for some great sports photos, yeah, with people running through the mud and water and mud coming up from that, but what kind of conditions are those to contest a game that's going to decide a team's season? These teams and these players have worked very hard for a long time, and their season shouldn't come down to who can manage the best on a muddy field. I know Parkersburg South fans will look back at 2003 with a little bit of longing because they had Ben Gum, a running back that just ran all over Martinsburg, and what Martinsburg people even call the Ben Gum game, because he ran the ball down Martinsburg's throat and led South to a state title that year. 
but I think the biggest games ought to be decided on the best fields, and field conditions should not at all be a factor in the outcome of the contest. And I'm not sure that you could say that about the quarterfinal games. Think about this. Where do they play the Super Bowl? Is the Super Bowl contested on does any old sandlot anywhere? No, the Super Bowl is contested in big stadiums and big cities and on nice fields. When it's on grass, it is on excellently manicured grass facilities, facilities where they have professionals and they have the money and the resources to come in and do that. Not everybody has the money and resources to manicure a grass field the way it needs to be manicured and kept to be able to withstand the weather that you get in October, November, and December. So for a lot of those schools, turf would be the better option to have the better home field. I ask you this question, which is better? Which would you rather have, a home game or a game played on a good, safe field? And you'd think that both of those would be possible, but often that doesn't happen. You hear so much about, oh, you hate to see them lose their home game. A lot of people have worked hard to do that, but you know who else has worked hard to get that home game? It's not about the mayor, not about the chamber of commerce. It's about the kids and it's about the coaches that have worked hard to accomplish that goal. If you would ask them, would you rather have a game played on a good field or would you rather have a game played on your field? Opinions might differ, but I would think a good field would be the better way to go about it. Too often you can't have both of those things. But what about the cases where you can have both? What about the facilities that you might argue are good facilities and have good conditions and have good playing conditions? I would argue this. I think for a lot of reasons we need to challenge where high school playoff games are held and we need to do a better job of not putting everybody on the list. As I said last week, it's not just about field conditions. We make it too often about field conditions, but it should be about toilets and locker rooms and seating capacities and press box facilities, things like that. The infrastructure needs to be looked at a lot more than it is now. But now we're even starting to slide on how tightly we're looking at the field conditions themselves. Because like I said, the quarterfinal round was contested on a lot of sloppy, messy fields. And you used to see big community efforts to try to save home games, people putting tarps on fields and fans under tarps, and a lot of volunteers getting involved to try to regrow grass or dry mud on muddy, overused fields. And of course, last weekend, especially Saturday, the weather was bad in a lot of parts of the state, and that's what compounded some of those conditions. But the standards need to be higher about where we play these biggest games of the season. I agree with what Ken says. There's an appeals process, but why isn't that done anymore? You never see that done, where somebody challenges a field and protests a field and wants the game moved elsewhere. I don't know if the SSAC has raised a fee for that or has imposed a fee where there wasn't one before, but if that is the impediment to putting these games on better fields, then that needs to be dropped. We need to get these games on better fields, or at least pay closer attention and maybe put under a little bit more scrutiny the fields that we see these games contested on. I don't know if that's regular inspections. I don't know if that's a regular team of people that have standards and things they're looking for when they go to challenge a field. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. It's just, hey man, it's Smokey. So his toe slipped over a little, you know? It's just a game, man. This is a league game. This determines who enters the next round robin. Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't. Am I wrong? But either way, there are rules in place and there are processes in place. We just need to learn to use those again in West Virginia to put these games on better facilities because when you're trying to get to Wheeling Island, you want your field to look more like Wheeling Island Stadium than Wheeling Downs. This week's poll, was this a good high school football season and why? A simple yes or no. If you can expand beyond, well, yeah, it was a good season. My team was awesome this year. That would be great. But if not, we'll appreciate that as well. Click on that, vote on that. We'll share your answers and why you think it was or wasn't a good season. Also, something I put on the Facebook page this week, I put an appeal trying to open up a mailbag. If anybody has any questions that they want to ask of me about high school football, if you want my take on any specific issues that I have not weighed in on throughout the course of the season, let me know and I'll uh, address 
address that uh, on the final episode of the year next week. Any and every topic, it's in play. Whatever you want to hear my opinion on, I will do my best to share my opinion on that topic. So comment on that mailbag post, write me something, and we'll get your message on the air, and I'll answer your question on the air next week on the show. Let's take a look at the Super 6 on Friday in Class AA. Bluefield, after upsetting Fairmont Senior, will face Bridgeport. Bridgeport comes in as a number 3 seed, Bluefield a number 4 seed. I think Bluefield might be the better team in this one. Fairmont Senior came in a little dinged up, and I think that might be why Bluefield got by them. I'm going to go Bluefield in this one and say Bluefield's probably going to win what could be the best game of the weekend, to be quite honest. I think it might be the closest game. If I had to pick one of these games to attend as a fan, that might be the one I'd take. Class AAA, Martinsburg and Cabell Midland. One of the things that was a pet peeve of mine last week when South played Martinsburg uh, was hearing some of the people that would comment on social media that Martinsburg was going to win the game handily. It was not even going to be a contest. And the way that some of those comments were made, I think, were not indicative of the kind of things that we need to be telling kids. I mean, we need to remember these are still 14 to 18-year-old kids. They don't deserve a lot of that negativity. That having been said, Martinsburg's a very good football team. Cabell Midland is in for a long day, if they weren't already aware of that. I know a lot of the Martinsburg people are getting somewhat butthurt over the fact that Cabell Midland is coming in confident and saying that they're going to win a predicting victory. Well, that's what you want. If you're Cabell Midland, the only way you're going to beat Martinsburg, if you're anybody that's going to beat Martinsburg, the only way you're going to win against Martinsburg, no matter whether that's in Martinsburg or on Wheeling Island, is if you come in and remove every doubt from your mind that you're going to win that football game. You have to believe beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt that you're going to do it. And you need that confidence if you're Cabell Midland. And if you're Martinsburg, you need to let that roll off your back and understand that might be just somebody talking themselves up because you know what you got and you got to be confident in what you got. And maybe you don't sweat the other noise. The final game of the year in high school football in West Virginia is the Class A game Saturday night as Doddridge County takes on Wheeling Central. Central is a 10 seed. They lost quarterback Curtis McGee with three games to go in the season. They have rallied and, and it's been an impressive comeback for them. They picked up a pretty decisive win over Pendleton County last week after scoring a combined 26 points in two wins to start the postseason. They got a 13-12 win over Tulsa in round one and then in the quarterfinals a 13-0 win over Ritchie County. Surprised they shut out Ritchie County. But Tulsa, those two teams traded scores in the final minute of the game as Tulsa couldn't quite finish off Wheeling Central Maroon Knights, so a team that almost lost in round one. Here they have a chance in their home city, no longer their home stadium, but in their home city, to win a state championship. And they'll be formidable for Doddridge. And I think the biggest thing that Doddridge is going to have to try to overcome is the traditional power, is the fact that this is a traditional power they're going up against. This is a program and not a team in Wheeling Central. So they're going to have to come in understanding that the infrastructure is there, the expectation is there to win. If you're Doddridge County, shoot your best shot. Total focus. You need everybody bought in 100%. You can't screw around and have the distractions that you might have had in previous weeks. They need everyone focused, laser focused, for an entire week on this task at hand. And if they can do that, play a good, clean game, then they got a chance to get past Wheeling Central because their defense is phenomenal. Keeping Williamstown out of the end zone last week and five regular season shutouts to boot, I think it's a good Dodgers County defense, and Wheeling Central is going to need to keep this as a low-scoring game. And I think if Central wins, it's going to be something like 12-10 or 12-9. It's going to be something ugly if they win. For Doddridge County, if they win, it's going to be something like 40-12 to or 40-14. to It just depends on how much Hunter America can get going against this Wheeling Central Maroon Knights crew. So those are the final three games in the state this weekend. Next week is our season finale. We'll have a season and Super 6 recap. We'll take a look at that mailbag and see if you left me anything to answer. Plus, we'll have our top five moments of the season, top five biggest stories of the season. I really like how this went last year, so we're going to do that again this way. Plus a surprise segment. Garrett Furr and I make an appeal to the St. Mary's High School administration for one special thing we like to see, come to Bill Hanlon Stadium. So it's a surprise segment. We'll have that for you 
you on next week's show. Rate us and review us. Download us on iTunes. You can also download us on SoundCloud as well. New episodes come out every Wednesday throughout the high school football season. This is episode 18, episode 19. The final one of the season comes next week here on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Thank you so much. Don't forget to like the Facebook page if you haven't already. Keep following us throughout the season. We'll wrap it up next season and put a pretty bow on things and send you into the offseason on the best note possible. My name is Eric Little. We appreciate you joining us once again this week. Thank you for listening to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast and enjoy the Super 6, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode and thanks for listening. That rug really tied the room together, did it not?